Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkar, and more importantly, today I get to speak with Dr. Alesh Ruiz Falquez on something called Pali, a fascinating ancient tongue called Pali. Alesh is actually a Pali lecturer and head of the Department of Pali and Languages at Shan State Buddhist University. Uh, Alesh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Raj. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're most welcome. We'll definitely cross-post this podcast to new books in um, Buddhist studies, along with some other relevant channels, which will become clear as we as we uh, advance our conversation. But uh, tell me something. What what is Pali? Well, Pali. To answer the question very simply, is the language, or one of the languages of Buddhism, of the ancient texts of Buddhism. And Pali is the language of the Tipitaka, the Tipitaka being a very large collection of Buddhist texts. And these texts basically contain the teachings of the Buddha, the Buddha Gautama or Gotama in Pali. So Pali is a Northern Indian language. It's an ancient Indian language. It's considered one of the classical languages of India. And it's only found in this collection of Buddhist texts. So if we are talking about Pali, we are talking about ancient Buddhist texts. And if we are talking about ancient Buddhist texts in India, we are mostly talking about Pali. There are also Buddhist texts in Sanskrit and in other languages, but basically Pali is one of the classical languages of Buddhism in India. Around what time period does Pali become in vogue? Uh, Well, there will be many scholars who claim that the Buddha himself spoke in Pali, or in a language that is very similar to the Pali that we know. But let's say like from the fifth century before the common era, definitely definitely around the third or second century before the common era, that's the period of Pali as a living language, but as a literary language, it's still alive today. So it's still used today, definitely studied in many Buddhist Theravada countries, such as Sri Lanka or uh, Burma, Myanmar, Thailand, etc. So is Pali currently a mother tongue? And if it so, not. Uh, it is not. I mean, if it was, that was probably in ancient India, we, what we were saying around the third century, fourth century before the common era. Uh, today, it's mostly a classical language. I wouldn't say that it is a dead language. Some people are able to speak it, to have a conversation in Pali. The many monks and many scholars are able to, to write in Pali, definitely read in Pali. Uh, get a complete education in Pali, but it's not a language that is spoken in families. And one of the major reasons for that is because it's a monastic uh, language. And in in Theravada Buddhism, uh, monasticism involves celibacy. So usually monks and nuns will not have children to to talk in, in Pali. Perhaps it's not dissimilar to use a Western analog to Latin insofar as perhaps there are many who know Latin to study texts in the Christian world, but no one is born into Latin. Would that be a fair comparison, would you say? 
I think so, especially, well, I'm from Spain and I think the comparison would work very well if we would go back to Spain or Italy, I guess, or, or other Catholic countries, uh, maybe a hundred years ago, where we still had these uh, seminars and schools that were uh, studying in Latin. And in fact, I think the same applies to Northern Europe. There are many great scientists and scholars who actually wrote in Latin, like N Newton wrote in Latin, although he wasn't a British scholar, or a British scientist, but he wrote in Latin, he read Latin. So Latin was the language of culture. Many people could uh, use it as a normal language, but it was not uh, a family language, so to say. It was a language of culture. So Pali definitely is something similar in Asia. So um, is Pali similar to, what is the relationship between Pali and Sanskrit? Well, the relationship between Pali and Sanskrit would be the similar to the relationship between Latin or classical Latin and uh, vulgar Latin. But for those who are not familiar with these languages, um, basically Sanskrit and, and Pali are, let's say, maybe sister languages, or it would be perhaps a little bit more accurate to call them cousin, cousin languages. They have, they have a common ancestor. They look very similar. If we are talking about uh, the oldest Pali texts that we know, they are definitely coming from a, not from the same mother and father, let's say, as Sanskrit, but they have a common ancestor. Uh, the, the oldest Pali is also quite close to Vedic Sanskrit, to the Sanskrit that the, to the oldest Sanskrit. Uh, there are some features in Pali that are actually similar to Avestan and this ancient classical languages of, of Persia. Uh, but then uh, all over the history, Pali uh, evolved. And there is a point where we find, uh, let's say, suppose at the, in the fifth century uh, of the common era, people who were writing in Pali, uh, they were writing a Pali that was even closer to Sanskrit. That's because they were mostly uh, uh, imitating the, the style of uh, Sanskrit uh, philosophical texts and so on. So they are, they are very similar languages. If someone knows Pali, it will be very easy to learn Sanskrit. If someone knows Sanskrit, it will be very, really easy to, to, learn, to learn Pali in the same way that if someone knows Italian, it will be easy to learn Spanish or vice versa. So let's just paint uh, the historical picture as best we can. Uh, clearly, well, at least in my view, uh, historical work historical work in, in South Asia is, is risky and requires a great deal of courage because we have relatively scant evidence. Uh, nevertheless, so can one surmise then that Pali was a mother tongue? People were speaking Pali the way in which we speak English now, and those same people perhaps were learning or studying Sanskrit for intellectual enterprise. Would that be fair or how would you characterize it? Well, that's a, that's a very tricky question. That's a question that many people ask, especially when one is a Pali teacher, as it is my case. Uh, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So many, so what the first thing, there are many ways in which we can answer this question. And I think uh, it is tempting to answer in a yes or no, or give a very definite answer. But maybe I would like to answer it in a more philosophical manner. And first of all, we could we could want, we, we could ask ourselves what is a language. So when we when we assume that we are speaking English or even that we are speaking the same language, 
is that true? Like, for instance, English is my, my second or third language, actually. Uh, maybe it's your first language. I don't know. So when we are speaking English, are we speaking exactly the same language? I'm sure my vocabulary is much poorer than yours. And, and also, I'm sure that in, when we are having a podcast, which is a semi-formal uh, environment or context, we are speaking in a certain way. There will be other contexts in which we are, we are also speaking English, but it's a different type of English, a different register, maybe it's a slang. Or in other contexts, if we are writing a book, an academic book in English, it will be actually different. There are certain things that, that we, we write that we will not say. So with Pali, then we should begin by asking what kind of language or what kind of register of the language it is. Is it, so the text that we have, do they represent a formal register of the language, the language that one would speak in a somehow religious and solemn uh, setting? Or does it represent a language that would be heard in the streets? Uh, so here there is actually a lot of debate. And this is one of the things that it depends on, on what you believe. Uh, and then you will see certain things or others in the Pali. If, if one believes that the Buddha was teaching in the language of the people, and one believes that the Pali corresponds exactly to what the Buddha spoke, then in theory, the conclusion would be that the Pali that we see in the text is uh, the common language of the people. I'm not of this opinion. I think the Pali that we see in the text is a cultural language, but it's related to the language that was spoken probably around the time of the Buddha in the same way that if one reads a book published by a by a university press, or uh, if one reads an academic paper. Uh, so that type of English will be related to the English that is spoken at the coffee shop. So it's definitely not the same type of vocabulary, not exactly the same type of expressions, but we call it English nevertheless. So similarly, I think that the Pali text that we have, they represent an somehow artificial language, a cultural language, but which is based or definitely related to a popular language that the Buddha would have clearly understood and the people who were around him would also have understood and probably communicated with someone who spoke Pali. No, the, the response you give quite resonates. I mean, it's neither here nor there whether I agree with you. I'm, I'm interested in your views, but it quite resonates and uh, coming at it not from a scholar of linguistics or Pali at all, but just sort of leveraging what I know to be true of human beings. Um, and, and cultures in various contexts where, you know, we have in our generation for the first time text being used for the, the absolute basis, most pedestrian mundane forms of communication. We call it text messaging. Never before has that been the case. Right. There's certainly there's been casual writing, even in a, in, in, in a letter or um, um, a telegram or something like that. But even when one takes paper to pen, pen to paper, one adopts a different voice. And so it seems to me, at least as sort of an, you know, uh, with a smidgen of common sense that that folks who when folks are committing something to writing, they understand that this will be preserved. And therefore, they want to preserve something in its best form, in, in a more refined, structured form. They certainly wouldn't waste their time scribbling down people belching at the dinner table or, or, or whatever. This seems, you know, certainly this needs to be nuanced. I'm sure there are arguments 
on both sides, but I have this rule in the back of my brain when I do scholarship as well. If it affronts my common sense, then I'm lost in the weeds. I'm missing the forest for the trees. So this is sort of where your response hits me. So thank you for sharing. Um, what, um, what can you access with Polly then? If somebody had knowledge of Polly, what does it grant them access to? Well, the best answer to that is that I don't know how much. I know part of it. And that is, I think I would say that is a kind of very uh, Buddhist type of answer. Like when people ask the disciples of the Buddha, how much a Buddha knows, they say, well, I don't know. I don't know how much the Buddha knows because I don't know as much. I know one part of it, maybe uh, in the best case scenario. Uh, so what we can access in Pali is first of all, the Tipitaka, that is the the fundamental scriptures of Theravada Buddhism. That is one of the branches of Buddhism. Uh, there are others. There are other schools of Buddhism. But this is a branch of Buddhism that uh, is still alive in parts of India, but mostly in Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia. And what is peculiar of the literature of this school of Buddhism, as opposed to Tibetan Buddhism and Chinese Buddhism, is that it preserves a canon or, or a collection of texts very ancient texts containing the discourses of the Buddha in a language that is Indian. It's, it's from North India. So it's a language that if it's not the language of the Buddha, it's something very close. It's not a translation from an Indian language. It's actually texts from India. So in those very ancient texts, we find the teachings of the Buddha. But that's not the only thing that we find in Pali. Because then there is, there is a continuous tradition of commentaries upon commentaries. These are called the Attakatas or the Tikas. These are commentaries and elaborations on the words of the Buddha, explanations of the words of the Buddha. And, that, and this lineage of, of texts goes up to the, basically up to the colonial times. There are some disruptions in some countries due to the influence of European culture and the disruption of the traditional systems of learning. But technically, even today, Pali is used in, in some uh, contexts, especially academic, monastic academic contexts. So you can access all those uh, texts in Pali. There are many books on Buddhism, on the teachings of the Buddha. But then, of course, there are, uh, uh, in, in this literature, apart from philosophical texts, there's lots of narrative texts, uh, stories, like the famous Jataka stories. Uh, there are texts that are concerned the, the rules and regulations of monks, so from the point of view of someone who, who maybe aspires to live a monastic life that is very interesting, but it's definitely also interesting for the historian of religions, someone who is interested in seeing how this system of uh, the, the monastery is organized through, through many different uh, periods in history, in Asia, different parts of Asia. So it's a definitely an oceanic, oceanic uh, literature. Uh, I haven't read most of it. I would say I, pro I will probably die without reading most of it. And there are still many manuscripts that are awaiting uh, an edition. So there are, there are Pali texts that no one is reading because they are not edited. They are in manuscripts. Mostly they, these are medieval texts. Part of my scholarly research is on those types of Pali texts. But yeah, uh, in Pali, we can access the teachings of the Buddha, at least in one of the major uh, schools. Listen up, all you possible, uh, you grad students existing in future, you know, there are Pali texts which need to be edited. <laughs> There's an idea for some projects for you. Um, so how similar is Pali to Sanskrit? What, how do they compare? 
or uh, in addition to that, uh, are there other languages that are similar insofar as knowing that language would be advantageous for learning Pali? Good question. Yeah, I mean, if we would have to add something to what we said before, I mean, there are, here I think there are two angles. Uh, one is the, the linguistic angle. Like if someone is familiar with classical languages, classical languages of the Indo-European family, uh, for instance, classical Greek, classical Latin, as it was my case, because I came from classics to Indology. And then there are many things that will be familiar and learning the, the grammar of Sanskrit or Pali, which works mostly the same. Uh, it's not that difficult. Understanding how the case endings work and how the syntax work, how words are combined, uh, what is a declension and so on, that is not very difficult. Then if we are, the second angle is if we are uh, within the Indian or the Indic context, then we have Sanskrit and then we have Pali, then we have other languages that traditionally, and when we say traditionally, that means usually from the point of view of Sanskrit, from the point of view of, of Brahmins or Brahmins educated in the Vedic uh, system, then there are other languages that are to some extent corrupt or degenerate. Pali would be one of them. Actually, there are many indications that uh, other names for Pali were uh, Paisachi. I mean, that is not, not, not sure, but uh, it, it makes sense that if, if it was not Pali, it was something similar. That means the Paisachi would mean the language of the demons or the, the language of the goblins. So it means the language of the monsters, basically. That was the point of view of, of, a, of a, uh, Puritanical Brahmin. So here, when we are thinking about Sanskrit and Pali or Sanskrit and other Prakrits, as uh, different languages, that's one point of view. But the, the Indic point of view is that we're thinking of different levels of the same language. That's how similar they are. These are, these are levels. There are levels to language. And if you are good, you will speak Sanskrit and you will make no mistakes. But if you start making mistakes, you will begin to speak other uh, apabramshas or this kind of degenerate uh, or popular languages. So uh, from the point of view of the Indian tradition, these are not really totally different languages. They will be more like dialects of a kind of common, common trunk or common core, linguistic core. Uh, in terms of vocabulary, it's practically the same. Like uh, it's, it's so close that it was not difficult at all for Jains and Buddhists to shift to Sanskrit eventually. There's a point in history. So the Jains and the Buddhists and other schools, they were using their own uh, popular languages but eventually they shifted to Sanskrit. And that's why we have so many Buddhist texts in Sanskrit or Jaina texts in Sanskrit. And that was very, very easy because translating, uh, so quote, quote, translating from one popular language to Sanskrit would be uh, not like what we understand as a translation, but more what we understand as a correction. Like when someone who doesn't know exactly how to spell words uh, submits the essay and then the teacher has to say, look, this is not spelled in this way. You have to write it in that way. So that, that would be the difference. Like, right, according to Brahmins or Puritanical grammarian Brahmins, that would be, you know how to write or you don't. If you know, you are writing Sanskrit. If you don't, you are writing Pali and other, other dialects. Are you saying that one way to view Pali is as a broken Sanskrit? Uh, definitely, yeah. Great. Would you be willing to, to share with us how it sounds? Could you maybe perhaps read a verse for us? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, 
Uh, let's see if I remember. The beginning of the Dhammapada says, Manopubangama Dhamma Manosetta Manomaya Manasache Padutena Basati Vakrotiva Tatonam Dukamambueti. How is it? Oh, I lost it. I'm sorry. I, That's I fine. But it, you, you could get a. Sure. And I was actually surprised. Um, I haven't I haven't studied or heard Pali at all. I, I studied uh, epics and Puranas, Sanskrit narrative literature. But actually, um, I was surprised that I could follow most of what you said. <laughs> so with knowledge yeah, of Sanskrit, Pali is very intelligible. I remember being in a in a Sanskrit conference with a Theravada monk uh, who had studied in Pali all his life who knew Pali very well, but he never studied Sanskrit. And there were some functions in Sanskrit and he could follow everything. So uh, they are def definitely very close languages. Um, the, it's like Pali, it's like a, a specific way or a peculiar way of pronouncing Sanskrit, if you wish. Uh, what is challenging sometimes is precisely, and that may sound a little bit paradoxical, but the fact that uh, the, the grammar of Pali is not as systematic. So in many ways it's easier because it's less systematic, but in many ways it's more difficult because it's less difficult to predict. So, but that is again, the difference between a, a culture language, a language that has been highly grammaticalized like Sanskrit or a popular language. It's probably not dissimilar to learning English, where it's it's very difficult to predict the, the the formula, the grammatical formula in English. They break down with every verb, with every other verb, and so um, you just have to become exposed with the way we do when we're three years old and start speaking. We just listen to language and then duplicate it. Um, so, um, would you say it's difficult to learn? I mean, that, that's obviously, that requires a provisional or perspectival response, but, you know, how difficult is Pali to learn? Well, here again, the, when I'm asked this question, I would say that it's not very difficult compared to Sanskrit, but that is only for one simple reason. The reason being that when one usually learns Pali or when, when one usually approaches Pali, that is because initially what we would like to read are the discourses of the Buddha. These are called the suttas or the sutras, but in Pali they are called suttas. That's also very similar to sutra. Then these texts, uh, they follow certain patterns. And there is a very recurrent uh, vocabulary. So you can master this vocabulary very quickly because it's always the same type of introduction. Uh, at one time, the Buddha was dwelling in that place uh, or in that other place. Then he talked to the monks and the monks, I'm going to teach something. And the monks replied, yes, sir, venerable sir. Then the Buddha says, pay attention, I'm going to talk. And then the, the teaching starts. And I mean, there is a certain limitation to what can be said in those environments. There are certain uh, topics that will be the, the subject matter of the discourses. So if we just focus on the discourses on the earliest collections, then uh, I would say that for a beginner, maybe after a few weeks, maybe after eight weeks, one can begin to read the, the original text uh, as they are without any editing from, from, from the teacher or from someone who's trying to make things easy. So one can now, another, another question would be if the student is ready to explain every form, every possible word, that 
that would be more difficult. That is something that even I can't do many times. But to read the text and enjoy them in the original, definitely reading them with the translation side by side, that is something that after, I would say, after two, three months, it's already possible. In Sanskrit, the problem is that uh, Sanskrit is a language that has been used uh, for many different genres of literature, uh, many different uh, philosophical schools. So if you if you are interested in Sanskrit in general, well, you can read the grammar, but there is no text that will teach you or that will uh, exemplify Sanskrit, right? There's no text that will say, well, this is Sanskrit. The rest is kind of uh, dribble or whatever. No, but for Pali, you can say, well, let's take the Majima Nikaya or take the Diga Nikaya. This is the authentic Pali. Then there is commentaries and so on. But this, this is Pali. This is what you get in Pali. It's always about the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, so that is that is an advantage for the for the student. How did you get interested in Pali? Tell us about that journey. I initially I was interested in Sanskrit and I was interested in poetry. I very much I was very much interested in literature and art and music in general. So uh, I actually I thought that I was or I conceived myself as an artist not as a scholar, never as a scholar. Even today, I can, I have to struggle a little bit to accept that I'm a scholar and I'm a professor or a teacher. But I was very much interested in fiction since I was a kid, writing fiction and then uh, music. I'm talking about popular music or even jazz, but uh, not classical music. And But then I also had this fascination for ancient literatures, as literature. And Greek literature specifically and Indian literature. But I didn't have the chance to study Indian literature in Barcelona. And when I did, it was just an introduction to Sanskrit. So that actually uh, triggered my interest in learning more. Then I saved some money. I, I, I decided that I would go to India. I wanted to visit India and learn Sanskrit in India. Uh, and why, why was that? I I don't know. It's like the, I think important things in life. Just you know that you 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 want to do that, and the reason is very difficult to tell. But I wanted to learn, so I went to India. And when I started studying Sanskrit, I discovered that there were other languages in India. With so the, the literature was really really broad. You had to specialize, and that was a kind of disappointment at, at first because I thought, well, what we were talking before, I thought, well, I'm going to learn Sanskrit, but there is nothing like. Sanskrit, you have to choose. So they say, you have to specialize. What do you, what kind of Sanskrit do you want to learn? I say, well, I don't know. I want to read poetry. They say, well, poetry, this is just, you know, when you have free time, you read poetry. This is entertainment. They choose something serious. They say, okay, at the end, I chose Nyaya. That is uh, logic and philosophy. And I really enjoy that very much. Uh, my professor, Professor Vian Jha was really good. He was amazing. But also we had to choose uh, a special subject. A minor subject. And then I could choose between Prakrit or literary Prakrit or Pali. And I already met some Buddhist monks. And I knew that they were following a Buddhist tradition that was very old, this Theravada tradition. And they, they had their text in Pali. So I said, I'm going to read that. I want to see what the Buddha says in, in, in the text. And yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, uh, love at first sight, or it was not really a, a passionate love. It was more a kind of platonic or, uh, I don't know, spiritual love. Uh, I felt that what those texts were saying was true, if I can put it that way. 
And so I, be I became personally involved with that. I was reading Pali not for any academic uh, purpose. I was a kind of, I was a Sanskritist at that time uh, or a classicist, but the Pali texts were uh, talking to me in a different way. And I was just thinking that this, this deserves more, more time and more study. And that's how then after my master's degree, I decided that if I had the chance, I would continue and just devote my time to Pali. And it, it just so happens today that no one will pay you money if you just stay in your room and read Pali and you have to survive. Uh, well, it could happen. I mean, I was lucky at some point that some people wanted to learn uh, and, and they were paying me. I was giving kind of private uh, lessons back in Spain, but nothing, nothing like a salary. So that's, that's how I got interested in, in Pali. So 